Well, I didn't introduce myself yet. We've had a lot of new people in the last few weeks, so my name's Jeff, if we haven't met. And we're going to just jump right in. Uh, I'm going to start. I'll just read. This is, we're going to look at a lot of text this morning, uh, but I'll just read. I could have landed this in a couple different places, but I decided to just land it in John 20, verses 30 to 31. I'll just start right out of the gate with our scripture this morning. John is near the end of his gospel, and he's telling you why he wrote this gospel. He says, many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. I should tell you, too, normally I read from the New Living Translation. In this series, for a variety of reasons, I'm, I'm reading from the New American Standard, just in case you're here and the translation looks different than normal, just for this series. Um, there's a lot of really good English translations, so you don't have to fret about any of that, right? Verse 31, here we go. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And here we go. That believing, you may have life in his name. By believing in this Jesus, you may have life in his name. Now, you hear that phrase now, and it means something to you. But I'm hoping in about 35, 40 minutes, that has a little bit more depth. What does it mean to have life in his name? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, we have, we're, in, we're in the third week of a series, and this happens frequently. We're, when we're looking at a theme, or you know, sometimes we just go straight through a book of the Bible, but here we're looking at this ad, is Advent, and we're looking at passages that prepare us. They're non-traditional passages, actually, but they prepare us in a different way for the coming of Jesus. And there is a little bit of a multiplying effect from the series. If, if this is your first Sunday here in the series, you're going to be fine, I think. But we really are building. Two weeks ago, we did a, a message on the Trinity, the, this eternal community of love that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God, and yet distinct from one another. And I, and I mentioned, you know, sometimes this idea of the Trinity is tricky because we encounter the risen Christ. We experience this new life in Him. We come to church. That's why you're here. There's something about being discipled. It matters. And we're told this living God that we've encountered is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're just told it as fact, and we just accept it. Now, one of the things I'm trying to do in this series is to invite you a little deeper into the story that this doesn't just come out of nowhere, <laughs> uh, that the apostles, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the help of Jesus, have gone back into the old, we talk a lot about reading the Old Testament with Jesus as our guide. The apostles have gone back into the Old Testament. We don't get the language of the Trinity for about 300 years after the birth of the church. So the apostles are leaning into concepts, to vocabulary, to categories that are already present in the Old Testament narrative. There's a shelf there for the understanding of the Trinity, but the shelf doesn't get filled in until Jesus and the Holy Spirit are on the scene. Uh, one of the ways I've been talking about this is I, we have a recipe. The apostles had a recipe for understanding the Trinity. 
The first ingredient was the Old Testament story. The apostles refused to talk about God in a way that was outside of how God has revealed himself in the Hebrew scriptures. They just wouldn't do it. That's ingredient number one. You don't get the Trinity alone from the Old Testament, but it is a necessary ingredient. That's a big part of this series. The second, then, obviously, is Jesus himself. He happens. This child is born at Christmas. And two things, there's lots of things, but the two we've been talking about, one is the way Jesus talks about God and himself as father and son in a unique way. We've looked at some of these passages already in our series. And he also talks about this Old Testament story as being all about him, (laughs) culminating in him. And, and, and I said, we, we, sometimes we, we, we see what Jesus is teaching. We've read the Old Testament and we think he's reinterpreting things, but really he's clarifying what was always there, right? So those are two big pieces. And then, the, and he talks about this other one who would come after him and then Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit is poured out. So you have your three ingredients, the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus, and then Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. And then the apostles, that, that's the ingredients for their understanding of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this series, for the sake of time, we're primarily focusing on the first two ingredients, but we will come back to the Holy Spirit. In January, we're going to start a series on the book of Hebrews that'll take us up to Easter, and then after Easter, I've already entitled it. Alyssa's already got the graphic. It's really cool. It's called Like a Dove. I like it. And we'll spend some time on the Holy Spirit. Now, last week, then, I introduced you to what we're doing over these four weeks of Advent. We are talking about attributes of God that are more than attributes of God. Uh, So last week, we looked at the Word of God. Today, we're going to talk about the name of God. Next week, we'll do the wisdom of God. And Christmas Eve in the morning, we'll do the glory of God. And we started with the Word of God because it's the clearest, Again, we're spending a lot of time in John's gospel because John was so masterful. He lived the longest. He had the most time to reflect on the biblical narrative and what Jesus taught. And he just is so masterful and creative in how he communicated this Trinitarian God without the language that would come 300 years later. (laughs) And John begins his gospel with the words, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And what I tried to show you last week is John didn't make that up. He is using language and concepts and stories from the Old Testament to try to talk about God coming as this baby, God entering into our world as human, the son of God among us, Emmanuel. (laughs) So we're going to do that today with the name of God. We're going to talk about this attribute. As with all these, we could say what John says, in the beginning was the name. The name was with God and the name was God. It's, it's, are we talking about God or the name of God? It gets blurry. And that's what I want to walk you through this morning. You up for that? You up for it? There's a few more texts than normal, which I both am apologetic about and also excited about. So, and believe me, I had even more. There's so, there's so much on this theme, more than I was even aware when I started really getting into it. So we'll start light, and then we're going to work our way. We're going to meet a very important character in the Old Testament tied to the name of God. But we'll get there. I want to look at three passages first, so you can follow along in the slides, or you can try to keep up with me. 
In Psalm 20, uh, verse 1, this is how it begins. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May, listen to this, may the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. It's poetic imagery, but may, may the name, it's personifying the name of God. May the name of God lift you up, right? And then, of course, but we will praise the name of the Lord our God. At the very least, the psalmist is saying, when you trust in the name of God, you're trusting in God himself. It's just, again, it's just the first step here. The next passage, again, more poetry. There's the poetry in the Bible, I've told many of you, my background is in science. My undergrad was in chemical engineering. Poetry was way, way off in the distance. And as I've followed God, I've learned to, to try to grow and appreciate and understand how important poetry is in the Bible. Uh, so many of the places where the, the, the voice of the Spirit of God is speaking to us through the Bible, stretching our imagination for this infinite God comes through poetry. And Isaiah is one of the greatest poets to ever set foot on this earth. And in a pretty intense passage, I mean, Isaiah is a big book. This is one of the intense passages. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to see how it begins. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from a remote place. The name of the Lord comes from afar. His anger is burning and dense with smoke. Again, it's a personification. Are we talking about God or the name of God? And all the way through this and all of these attributes, the answer is always yes. Is it, is it the name of the Lord or the Lord? Yes. It's just, it's just how it gets presented. But we'll move now beyond just poetry into the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy deals with this in a variety of ways, but one that is uniquely important, even connects the dots to Jesus as we journey through, is Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 11. Then it shall come about that the place, listen to this, the place in which the Lord your God shall choose for his name to dwell. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifice. He's talking about the temple in Jerusalem, and he's saying, my name is going to live there. Now imagine that, you know, over the next couple of weeks, I go to Ohio at some point to visit my mom, and you shoot me a text or an email and say, hey, Jeff, I'd love to meet with you. And I reply, hey, I'm in Ohio with my mom, but my name is dwelling in my office right now. So if you head over to church, you can meet with me there. That's nonsensical. <laughs> but we're talking about an infinite God and the biblical authors trying to describe him. <laughs> and God says, I've made my name to dwell there. I chose for my name to live there. Again, this, I mean, I'll just even get you thinking, but, but Jesus is going to step on the scene and say, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up again. Because Jesus understands himself to be the temple. I mean, again, we'll just, uh, I mean, you, you know where I'm going because we always land with Jesus, but, but we're going to get there. So there's three passages. Again, I don't want to overwhelm. Believe me, I cut way back on what I could have done. Uh, but I, I want to try to give you a clear picture. So we were talking about the attributes of God, but what I want to do now 
is, is move to the, like this is a key text. You know, if you're going to look at some of these themes, it's always good to read where it all starts. And of course, there's a very, very famous chapter. And even if you're brand new to church, you may have heard sometime down the road that God talked to Moses out of a burning bush. Probably heard that somewhere along the way. So really, really important, this is where the name of God is given to us. And again, all of this is circling in John's mind as he's recording his gospel. I mean, if you'll, you'll see, you'll, I mean, you'll see, some of you have read the gospel of John too. You'll, you'll connect the dots as we're going through this, right? But in Exodus chapter three, Moses meets God. But, and you might know the story, but you might not realize there's another character who shows up in the story who just so happens to show up in a variety of places. He was in, I mean, again, a lot of passages we could have looked at. He shows up here, and and you might not know that he's in the story, but he is. You'll meet him. Exodus chapter 3, Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, this is Sinai, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. That's interesting. Who's this angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire and yet the bush was not consumed. So I spent some time just reading and then sitting with this text a little bit. I really do think if, if you enter into the story and it might not be how you think about it, you might just, you've seen cartoons probably, right? And this, this bush is on, but it's not burning up, but it's on fire and there's just a voice. I mean, I've seen cartoons of just the, the fire pulsates. That's not what's being described. Moses sees someone in the fire, almost like a human figure in the fire. He calls him the angel of the Lord. So for your imagination's sake, again, don't think of angels. Don't think of angels as winged with halos. I mean, Sarah, in some, some, some places maybe, but, but in general, as you read through the narrative, when an angel shows up, and, and we'll look at one text in the Old Testament, sometimes people don't know they're talking to an angel. They just assume it's another human. So I want you to imagine this bush Moses looks, there's, it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace in Daniel. Whatever you picture there, picture here, because I think that's what's being described. Verse three, so Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why is this bush not burned up, right? And when the Lord saw that, he turned aside to look and God called to him from the midst. What do you mean God? I thought it was the angel of the Lord in the bush. Are we talking about the angel of the Lord? Are we talking about God? And again, the answer is yes. (laughs) I mean, there's intentional ambiguity in the Old Testament is just creating shelf space for how this God would come to us. And God, it says, called from the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near, remove your sandals, right? Very famous line from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. All we're told is the angel of the Lord appeared, but now we're told it's holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the only God there is, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And as often happens when people encounter the angel of the Lord, they're afraid. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Wait, I thought it was the angel of the Lord. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it's intentional. It's blurry. 
I think John knows this. I mean, how, so we keep going, right? How, this is where we're introduced to the name of God. Moses, verse 13, said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel and I shall say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they may say to me, well, what's his name? What do I say, God? And God said to Moses, will you tell them I am who I am? I am who I am. Again, we've been referencing John's gospel. If you've read through John's gospel, how many, seven times Jesus says, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. You can't tell me this, is, this passage is not in the back of John's mind as he's writing his gospel. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God said, furthermore to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. It's my memorial name to all generations. I am the name of God. This is God's personal name. I mean, that should tell you, if you're, if you're newer to church and you're learning about this God and he seems distant, seems way out there, seems unknowable, well, as you get into the biblical narrative, what you find out is God has a personal name and he wants you to know him and he wants to know you. I mean, what did we say last week? He sees you. He gets you. He's with you. That's this God, this incredible God. And his name is interesting, right? I am. It's, I am who I am. It really, if Moses repeats that, it sounds funny. Only really God can say his name that way. I am who I am or I am. I will be who I will be. So we are given a name that's a bit more like he is. He is who he is. He, he will be who he will be. And that is the name Yahweh. Now, some of you aren't aware of this because the front of your Bibles, it tells you that the Hebrew name Yahweh is the name of God. But because as the Jews read their Bible, whenever Yahweh appeared, the personal name of God, they didn't ever want to say it in vain. They always read the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord. So you may not be aware, but you may have noticed as you read through your Bible, there's places where it says Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And you might have thought that was just out of respect for God. No, what that's telling you is that in the Hebrew, it says Yahweh, the personal name of God. But to never say the name of the Lord in vain, they just write Lord. So we know him as Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the personal name he's given us. All right, well, let's keep going. Next, Next passage is in Exodus chapter 23. Verse 20, behold, I am going to send an angel before you. This is the, you just have to trust me on here. I just, I I don't have time to show you all the connections, but this is the angel of the Lord. But it's interesting because God had said he would lead the people. Now he says, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared for you. Verse 21, be on your guard before this angel. Who is this angel? Obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression. Who is this angel who has the authority to forgive sins or not forgive sins? It's interesting. Why can he do this? Well, what does it say at the end of verse 21? Since my name is in him. My name 
is in him. Now, Moses, the prophets, they will speak in the name of the Lord, but there's no one else where God says, my name is in him. My essence is in him. I'm one with him. <laughs> Who is this angel of the Lord? I mean, again, three ingredients. Just the Old Testament, we're just left with questions. But when Jesus steps on the scene, the perfect image of the invisible God. Well, now it starts to make some sense. And we go back and we read the Old Testament narrative and we say, wow, maybe God was always going to enter our story as a human being. We just had to wait for his perfect timing. Last passage, I could have done more, so thank me. I should say last passage till we get to the New Testament, sorry. <laughs> Judges chapter 6, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Just, just, so you, just so you see this one more time. Because I'm not, I'm not trying to be like crafty or, or you know, like this. I, I, I really believe that the apostles sat with these passages as they tried to understand how the God of all creation could have entered into their story. How, I mean, what happens to a people who believe in a God where you don't even have any kind of idol or statue to represent him in your holy of holy place in your temple, and then you start worshiping a human being as God? How does this happen? Well, maybe, just maybe, there were spaces in their story all along to understand God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Judges chapter 6, verse 11, here we go again. Then the angel of the Lord, the one who God put his name in the one who was there revealing the name of God. He came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah. He's come to meet with Gideon. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him, here's our, and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Now notice, then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, and that's lowercase, O my Lord. He, he's saying, he, he, like, in other words, Gideon does not think that the angel of the Lord, is, this is my point, he doesn't think he's anyone special. It's just another human being who has come up to him. <laughs> that, that's the way the narrative plays out, and it's so Gideon if you read the story of Gideon. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord, and this is Yahweh, it's in all caps, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. I was reading this. I was like, this is such an Apostle Peter moment. Gideon is talking to God, saying, why has God abandoned us? And he's standing right there with him. I mean, it's just such the, I mean, the ultimate blindness scenario, right? But I want you to see it's the angel of the Lord who has come to talk to him. And verse 14, it says, and the Lord looked at him and said, Yahweh looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And again, I ask, are we talking about the angel of the Lord or the Lord? And the answer is yes. In the beginning, the, the word was with God and the word was God. <laughs> John is leaning into these passages to understand that maybe, just maybe, this angel of the Lord is the word of God, is Jesus, pre-incarnate. Because, again, 
Most of you know this. Maybe some of you, Jesus did not enter the scene as a child. Jesus has always been. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. Before anything was created, the Father was loving the Son through the Spirit, an eternal community of love. So we're looking at the name of God. It's personified. It, the, the name of God can lift you up. The name of God can come from afar in anger. The name of God can dwell somewhere, live in a location. The name of God can be in this angel of Yahweh. So the apostles are using this language then as they begin to talk about the Trinity. So we're going to be in John 17 again. We've already been in John 17 in this series, and we will be again. There's all the, I mean, again, this is why these, these, the word of God, the name of God, the wisdom of God, the glory of God, John's got them all swirling and he's intermingling them. I, even in doing a deeper study of these blurry divine attributes in this Advent series, I'm like, wow, I, I never realized how saturated John's gospel is with these ideas. He is so gifted. I mean, imagine being one of the first people to ever try to explain the Trinity and you don't have that language yet. In fact, those are Greek concepts that come 300 years later. John is just living in the Hebrew worldview and using tools at his disposal to describe who the one true God is. And he does it amazing. Maybe you'll appreciate the gospel of John in ways you never have before. It's amazing. So John 17, verse 3, again, just so you see this, this is another way of saying the word was with God and the word was God. John says, that, well, Jesus is speaking here, right? So John is telling us, it's John's gift to us. John's the only one who gives us this prayer. This is eternal life that they may know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The Father and the Son in one, in one breath. And he talks about the spirit elsewhere, right? But here, it's the Father and the Son in one breath. They are one. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. I mean, John is talking about all this stuff. But back to this idea of the name of God and the angel of Yahweh. Well, what does Jesus pray? <laughs> Look at this. In verses, I'm not, this is what he says in 11 and 12, chapter 17. And I am no more in the world... I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Which name? The name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Again, God put his name in the temple. Jesus said, I am the true temple. God put his name in the angel of the Lord. Jesus talks about how the name that you have given me. And if you read through the gospel of John, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I am the light of the world. <laughs> Before Abraham was born, I am. It's pretty cool stuff. And then we get to the end. Here's how chapter 17 ends. Oh, righteous father. Because how, how do you understand this? You've got Jesus who is God. The word became flesh. He's God, but he's still praying to the father. 
This is the community of love that's always been. Oh, righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. This is an invitation for you and me. God has made his name known and he's making it known. He's making who he is known. He is opening up himself to us. And why? Why does it say that? So that his love may pour into our hearts. I spent a lot of time thinking, this last verse really caught my attention this week and just pastorally praying through the season that we're in. We're two weeks away from Christmas Eve. And I, I just had two pastoral things I wanted to, to, to share with you. And then we got one more little thing. We're going to call upon the name of the Lord together in a second. But some of you are heading into, I, I, I don't know what else to say, a magical season. And I'm so excited for you. You're going to be with friends and family that you love and you cherish. And it is going to just be lots of laughter and happiness and joy. As a pastor, I've learned that when things are really, really good, it's easier for us to forget that God is there, that God is the author of life and the author of love. And I just, I want you to enjoy the time you're going to have, but care for your soul and have a posture of gratitude. And maybe in the midst of the laughter at some point, and when you're surrounded by people who know you and you know you pause and you just say, thank you, Jesus. I'm experiencing an overflow of the community of love that has always been. Thank you, Jesus. But here's the thing. I know that that's not everyone's story. I actually know since 2020, things have gotten pretty mucky in a lot of families for a lot of reasons. And some of you, that's not the December that waits for you. You are already dreading that you are going to be in a room of people who just don't get you. They don't understand you. They've written false stories about you. They haven't given you time to explain yourself. And you're already wondering, how am I going to do this? Jesus is showing me this way of life, and I don't know how I can be like Jesus in that kind of space because I feel like I don't belong. And here's a gift I want to give you. I want to remind you that your truest family is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they want you in their family. And they know you. And they see you. And they're not going to end the conversation before you have time to say everything you want to say. They're not in a hurry. Just excited to be with you. Look, if your, if your earthly family doesn't fill that void in your heart, just know that your truest family can if you learn how to let them love you because that's what they want to do. Jesus says, I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them. And Jesus says, so that I would be in and that's a promise. Memor- some of, memorize this verse going into Christmas Eve and carry it with you to know that even in, in the room, you feel, you feel invisible. You are not. Your heavenly Father is smiling, smiling. Look at the patience. You're fighting for love in the midst of people that you don't feel loved by. You're not alone. 
That's your truest family. God knows your heart. He cares. All right, so I pro- again, I, I should stop there. I really should, but I can't, okay? I really should. If I've already thrown too much scripture at you, then just these next five minutes, you're, just, you're loving your pastor, and that's okay. Just, I'll, I'll receive it. Because we've talked about a little bit of what Jesus and John have to say, but honestly, it's one of my favorite. And if you were a part of Form by Story, you already saw this two weeks ago. But I just love this, and it'll be a great way to kind of end our time and head into communion. But let's get Paul's perspective, the name of God, Yahweh. I mean, is Paul seeing the same kind of things? He's going to talk about it a little bit different, but is, is Paul... I mean, if any, if any of the apostles knew the Old Testament, some people think Paul had the whole Old Testament memorized. I mean, I can't even fathom somebody. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, less they had, I mean, it's, it's incredible. So Paul, Paul knows the scriptures. So let's read one of the scriptures Paul would have known well, Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45, you can read the whole thing on your own. It's probably one of the most Yahweh-centric chapters in the whole Bible. I am Yahweh, I am God, and there is no other. God says it several times in the chapter. Let's read verse 18. For thus says the Lord, again, that's Yahweh, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. That's the story of creation. This is the one and only God. I am the Lord and there is no other. There's none else. That's what he says. And then we go a few more verses later to verse 22. God says, turn to me and be saved. That's how it is in Isaiah. Some of the other prophets that will get quoted in the New Testament say, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The name. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I am Yahweh, I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. That to me, Yahweh alone, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. That's a pretty profound Yahweh only chapter. Well, what does someone like Paul (laughs) do with verses like that? Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, actually, I would say, may just be the earliest Christmas carol that we've ever had recorded or written down. And in the first three verses, Paul is celebrating that God did not consider his deity, his power to be exploited, to be used for his own advantage. And so not only does he enter into our world as a baby, but he actually enters as a baby who becomes a servant who is obedient to the will of the Father all the way to the cross. And Paul then in verse 9 says, and I just want you to read these because we just read Isaiah 45, and I'm going to read it with some gusto if you don't mind, because I think it's how it's meant to be read. Paul says, Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, which is above every other name, right? That at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that at every tongue would confess, would swear allegiance that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
So, I mean, I don't think you can be any stronger than that. Paul takes a chapter in a verse that is all about Yahweh, and he says, oh, no, 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 God has come and revealed himself in a new way, and we call upon the name of Jesus, (laughs) and we're saved. So that's what I want to do right now. I'm going to invite you. You don't have to again. I mean, if you're new and it feels weird, but I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. I just think it's a better way for you to do what you need to do with Jesus. I mean, one of the things about this God who is a community of love is somehow right now, he will personally meet with every single one of us in this room who wants to meet with him. You are not going to overhear, and maybe this is important for some of you, (laughs) you're not going to overhear what God's saying to the person next to you, okay? But keep your ears attentive to what he's saying to you personally. I want to call upon the name of the Lord. I want to ask you, church, where do you need salvation? Do you need forgiveness of sins this morning? Some of you do. Do you need deliverance from something that has you in bondage? Some of you do. Do you need salvation in your home life, in your marriage life, in your family life, at your workplace? Do you need healing in your body? Do you need healing in your mind? I mean, are you so overwhelmed with anxiety and fear that you need healing in your soul? I want you to find that place of poverty right now, and I want you to ask Jesus for help. Whether you tell him, I can't set myself free, I can't save myself, I can't get over this, I need you. I'm so laden with guilt. I'm, I'm bound. I'm chained. I'm depressed. I'm helpless. Whatever you need, cry out to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Call upon G- Jesus. I call upon the name of the Lord. You are my Savior. You who are the crucified and risen and exalted Son of God, Jesus, we call upon you to save us. Save us from what we cannot save ourselves. Save us in the midst of our brokenness. We cannot do this on our own. We call upon the name of the Lord because there is life in this name. Jesus, we call upon you. And we trust that in your timing, not in instant gratification Babylon, but in your perfect timing, you will deliver us and save us. And we cling to this promise with great hope. Amen.